Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Port of Harlem Radio, and I'm your host for this show and also publisher of Port of Harlem Magazine at portofharlem.net. If you're listening via the Internet, you can type your question in the comment box. You can also call and listen by dialing on your phone, 516-531-9540. If you want to ask a question, after you are connected, press 1, and please be in a quiet place. You can also visit portofharlem.net and click POH Talk Radio from the menu to hear this and past episodes. We're also available on about seven podcast platforms. And lastly, we talk production sponsors Port of Harlem Talk Radio. Our first guest is travel specialist Bernadette Champion of Champion Services Travel. Welcome, Bernadette. Hi, Port of Harlem and Wayne. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this opportunity. Thank you. Good. And I'm looking forward to learning more from you and learning more about travel and, and, and all that kind of good stuff that we had in the past, such as when you did a special event for us at the Alexander Black History Museum. But moving right along, uh, you do have a tentative schedule, too, of upcoming tours, and they are listed in the article, People Are Anxious to Travel, at PorterHarlem.net. But on a personal note, not a professional, but on a personal note, <laughs> how does it feel to have enough hope to plan trips again? It feels good to me. I am a person that stays very positive, and I believe everything happens for a reason. And for the most part, very good reason, um, one that we may not see immediately. Our travel family, in addition, though, um, have kept me motivated, checking in on me, and most of them are our longtime followers, so they want to make sure that I'm doing okay. It gives me hope knowing that I now have some time to pull those projects off the back burner that I had long left behind because we were traveling so much. So I've been able to do that, started a new uh, newsletter that goes out every other week called Motivational Monthly. So that way we only talk about motivational things and unknown, little-known, history facts, things like that. So I would have to say that um, also – the COVID vaccine being available, that's keeping me hopeful. Um, the U.S. is hoping that everybody or majority of the American citizens would be vaccinated by fall of 2021. So this gives everybody enough time to stay healthy and safe and being anxious to travel. Everybody's waiting. Um, they're not afraid. They're just waiting for that opportunity. I think it's because they're tired of being inside. Everybody needs a vacation, and so do I. <laughs> yeah, so do I, and I do feel a bit hopeful. And, and, and after I got my uh, two shots and the ten days or fourteen days passed, I too begin to feel hopeful. And so talking about it also makes me feel more hopeful. But there's another article in our archives called "Getting More Out of Your Vacation for Less," where you shared some tips. Let's talk about two of them if we can. And the first one was um, you stated when applying for a visa. Make sure you request a 54-page visa. It costs the same as a standard 24-page visa. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. It's actually your passport. When applying for a passport or renewing, inside your passport you have a number of blank visa pages. And so when you apply or renew, 
you're going to get the standard 24 pages. However, when applying on that application, you'll see a box that says 54 pages or the 24. If you don't check either, they're going to give you 24. But if you check the 54 page, then you will get 54 blank visa pages. Now, we all, I hope you know that your passport last is good for 10 years. So who knows? You may do enough traveling where you'll need those extra pages. What you don't want to happen is that you use up all of the 24 pages and then need more pages, and guess what? When that happens, now you have to mail your passport back in and pay additional for those pages. And if I'm not mistaken, it costs what it costs to renew. So save that money, get the 54 pages up front, and you should be good. No no worries. That's one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that happened to me once. Um, I was on my way to Brazil with the uh, photographer's group. And I went to apply for the visa, and I took my passport, and I assumed everything was okay because I had what appeared to be more pages. And I needed <laughs> not only that page for them, but I think I needed that country, I'm not too sure, maybe two extra pages because I saw mm-hmm. later or I learned at that point that different countries require different extra pages at the end. They so even absolutely if I had 20, do. Yeah, so even with the 24-pager, I still needed uh, from them uh, X number of extra pages besides the one that they needed. So I did get the 54-page one uh, the second time because that was just a little bit stressful, believe me. It can, yeah, it can be. And, and in some cases, they may not allow you into their country if you don't have enough pages. Some countries we require that one visa page means the front and back is blank where you may have a blank on one side and a visa stamp on the other side, that's not considered a full visa page. Some countries will allow it and some will not. So instead of taking the chance, go with the 54 page and be stress-free about it. It's very nerve-wracking it's anyway. and scary. It's the same price. It doesn't cost you anything unless you want to pay right. more. <laughs> send it in. Exactly. Who wants to do that? <laughs> yeah, Another one of your points so. was that one should use the Internet to compare prices and if you see what you want on the Internet, don't be afraid to call the company and see if you can get a better deal. Now, that really works. It really does. Um, there's a lot of fine print. When you go on the Internet and rates come up, let's say you've already got a package price and you like the price, but you would prefer going directly to the source, you can do that. Hold your, your quote contact them directly and see if they will either match it or beat it. Um, A lot of times when you go directly to the source, you get a better deal and you have a direct contact, whereas if you're booking, let's say, online through a third party, now you're under contract with that third party. And a lot of people don't understand there's a lot of fine print with that third party. You have to comply to their terms and conditions, where the direct source, that's only one person, one company, and if there are any changes that need to be made, they're under contract with you, and they will honor it in most cases, most cases, which is I like hands-on people. You know what I mean? If I book something online, I don't know who they are. It could be just an engine. And so you have, you, you're given a lot of runaround, and, um, which is why I think a travel specialist or provider 
is the way to go. And I'm not putting the Internet down. I think they are a great source, especially for individual travelers. I just say read the fine print, and wherever they are su- suggesting you stay, contact that, that resort or hotel or organization directly. Yeah. So that's sort of like I think once before I had taken um, one airline and I I think I don't know if I either booked oh. them separately or book or booked them together. But I did learn I thought it was I did learn that it's better to book them together. Yes. It is. Well let me tell you what happened to my mom and dad one time. They purchased discount air through a third party and I won't name the party. And um their flight was delayed or changed. And so they contact the airlines. The airlines couldn't help them out because they went through a third party. So the third party exactly changed their route and had them doing connection, three connections, to go from here to Los Angeles. Three connections, and it was nothing they could do about it. So they ended up canceling that. They did have travel protection insurance, and then they went directly through the airlines and booked and were able to make all kind of changes if they wanted to. So that's a good thing to remember when you're going through that third party. You're under their terms and conditions. Okay, well, you hit on a little bit of what I want to talk about next, and that is uh, with information <laughs> tickets being available on the Internet, as you just said, what are the two needs that travel specialists, such as yourself, provide that the Internet cannot or cannot as well as you? Well, one of the things I touched on is you can reach out and touch me. We have a home base. We're on Eastern Standard Time. You will call us. Someone will answer. It's a direct communication. Um, Internet most times are an engine unless you're going directly to the source. If it's the airlines, you're going directly through the airlines. If it's the hotel or resort, you're going directly through them. But if you purchase a package, let's say, through the Internet, you're always going to be communicating with the Internet, and they're not always easily at hand to accommodate you. And and like I said, it's a lot of running around trying to get your vacation situated. And I would say for the most part people don't have any problems. But when you do, it's a big, big problem. So I yeah, that's the problem is when makes, you do. It's a huge problem. You've paid your money. They're not going to give it back to you. They're going to try to accommodate you the, as best they can, but they have to go with what the industry is now telling them to give you. And like I said, exactly. three connections. Right. And so that's a bummer. You want to go on a vacation to relax, and you don't want to be stressed out trying to make that vacation happen, you know. But I would say you, I'm hands-on. Um, you meet me in person. We go through all the details. We prepare you for before, during, and after um, we do post pre trip information, we do presentations, we do document gatherings, so you can meet and greet everyone. And then when we return from a trip, we do a post, so we do a follow up and we get uh, reviews and find out what we did good and where we could use some, some changes maybe. And I don't take it personal because no one's perfect. Then there's always room for growth. Yeah, and when you talk about taking things personal, I think personally, and we've talked about this in the past, and of course we did a presentation for us, uh, I know more that about you being a travel agent or a travel specialist having your own niche, and all travel agents have their own niche or niche. 
and yours is a creating cultural experiences for groups. And for okay. passion, and I know your passion is about learning and seeing and interacting with the African diaspora, but I always think that it's interesting when I see that about your uh, your travels is that you still find yourself traveling to places that people don't readily identify as having or being a part of the African diaspora like uh, Israel. So my question to you is, what do you okay? So what <laughs> cultural African cultural experience do you provide when you go to a place like Israel? Well, if I would encourage everyone, especially African Americans or people of the African diaspora, open up the map and look at the globe. Israel is still attached to Africa. Why won't they call it Africa? That's the question I've always had. So, of course, we went over to check it out. And the indigenous people there, what you will see when you get inside of Israel, everywhere you go you will see um, hieroglyphics and evidence of old past. And there are carvings of what the people look like, the mosaic floors. And they look like Ethiopians, the Ethiopians we know of today with the almond eyes, the curly hair, dark brown. And you'll see them scattered throughout Israel. Now, when you get in Israel, the first parts or the inner area where the tourists go, you won't. You will have to go further out on the outskirts. Now, my first experience to Israel, I went as a travel agent with other travel agents. And I was the only African-American, only black girl, and I'm on a bus with 30, 40 non-black agents. And we were on a coach going down this long uh, rocky road, and the motor coach had to stop because a herd of sheep were crossing the street, the road. And in the back of, at the end of the um, the herd of sheep was this little chocolate brown girl looked like she couldn't have been no more than 10 max i want to give her maybe eight years old she had a staff in her hand and she was herding the sheep across now this was on the outskirts and i couldn't pull my camera up fast enough and it wasn't this was in the 90s so it wasn't the cell phone where i could hurry up and take a picture these were the old tommy cameras and i took gotcha. the picture I, I cannot find that picture but i took that picture and when i came home I started doing more research and tying Israel and Ethiopia together. And those that um, follow the Bible, when you read in the Bible, David had a son, Solomon. Solomon married Queen of Sheba. And in Ethiopia is where Queen of Sheba and her husband, Solomon, lived. So it's there. We go to an um, a Ethiopian community in Israel, and we, you know, they cover with us how Ethiopians are migrating back. But because a lot of Ethiopia is not um, technology up to date as we are, they go through um, a series of, uh, what do you call it, uh, preparing them to go out into Israel and become you know, citizens that are operating on today's technology. So they have a wonderful community, and that's always a part of our tour when we go. So we see everything we do in the footsteps of Jesus, and we follow that. We do that tour. We do the, the, um, the Sea of Galilee. We do all of that. 
but we also incorporate our history so that it's identifiable. There's an old antique mosaic floor that's in the bottom of a church that they found, and that floor is still intact, not 100%, but they have it in low lights and a rope around it. And when you look at it, the mosaic floor was done in the rendition of what times looked like back then. And the people on that mosaic are Ethiopians, or what we know to look like Ethiopians. So it's there. You just have to look. It's, I mean, the world was one big mass land before the waters broke it up. So it would make sense that they are there. <laughs> that we're yeah, there. I get the point of that there. But I think what's amazing for me is to think that if I'm going on the tour of Israel, I would rather go with you than someone else simply because I will have experiences I wouldn't have otherwise. And it reminds Absolutely. me once of going on a trip with Dr. Ben to Egypt. And even mm-hmm. though I had paid my money and I was there with him, I kept wondering well, what it would be like to be here without him. And so every once in a while I would eavesdrop on other tour guides' mm-hmm. tours. And believe me, they could look at the exact same thing we're looking at yeah. and not get the exact same story. <laughs> Exactly. We've had we've been on a tour and see other African Americans who just so happen to be with another group that's non African American and they're doing the typical tour that the tourist company gear you towards. Just like the media. If you watch television, whenever they advertise travel, rarely do you see us really involved in it and they're advertising these countries. You have to come, you have to come and they show you the beauties of it and the icons of it and so everybody go. Now, if we're there and we run into someone who's not with us, they will talk to our travelers, and the travelers come back and tell me, Bernadette, we were telling them the places we've been and what we've seen in relation to our history, and they are shocked. They're like, oh, my God, we didn't see any of that. We didn't know anything about that. Oh, my goodness. So, And we've actually picked up new travelers moving forward on future trips because of that. Just because hey, of step that. back not, a moment, too, because you've been... Yeah, and I want to step back a moment because I don't know if a lot of travelers know that people like yourself get free trips to places like Israel so that the Israeli tourist agents, agents, agents there mm-hmm. will get to know you, you get to know them, and they hope that you go back and sell the country and bring people there. And I say absolutely. we do. Yeah, absolutely. We do the same thing as we have done the same thing as journalists. I mean, we've gone on several free trips. And the whole point mm-hmm. is for us to like the place and then write about them. And right. I've had similar experiences where you may be one of the few black ones, because sometimes I go on these all-black trips, but um, mm-hmm. one of the times you may be one of the few blacks. And uh, I know once we went to Pennsylvania, and I was so mm-hmm. upset with the tour guide because we stayed right across the street from a Kenyan-American restaurant. And I was like, I'm here. And he didn't even tell me it existed. What? I had to go out and look for it. <laughs> See, that's what I'm I was talking about. <laughs> I don't blame you. And that you know what you touched on something and I don't want to forget to say this. Everywhere we go, it is important whether you're going with me or anyone else, if they haven't presented it or made it available to you, do some homework and find out what black owned businesses are in that state or their country that you're going to, you'll be amazed at how you will find restaurants that are owned by blacks, um, tour companies. I mean, it's out there. You just have to scratch the surface. And look, and it's important to know where you're putting your money, where you're leaving your dollars, because our communities in those other places could use that. 
No one will ever know about them. Their, their businesses will never grow. Everywhere we go, we try to use black-owned businesses in the travel and tourism business. You know, and it's, it's just it's really hard. But once you get used to doing it, it becomes more available. I, and I'll tell you what started me looking for some of the things you don't think about. I was in Israel. On that trip, I saw the little girl herding the sheep. And I was sitting in the lobby. And this white lady came to the concierge, and she simply said, um, I need to make arrangements to go to a beauty salon. Could you set that up for me? And the concierge says, sure, come back in 15 minutes. The concierge found a beauty salon to do her hair, called her a taxi, and sent her on her way. So about a, I waited an hour, and I went over to her. I said, excuse Uh-oh. me, um, would you happen to have information on a beauty salon that, would patronize that would that is versed in African American hair, and the look on her face. <laughs> she didn't have an answer, and she turned so red. So she said, "Um, I I don't believe so. I don't believe so." So of course, by me being there as a travel agent, that was one of the first things I did when I came back. I started doing some research, and I actually found three in Jerusalem. <laughs> So I made that a part of my package information for things you could do on your leisure day or your off day if you want to get your hair done. I encourage people also when we travel to other parts of Africa, a lot of our African-American sisters will get their hair braided for a trip so they don't have to do their hair. And I said, why don't you just wait, wash it, condition it, and you can set that up when you get there. And they will do an even better job because then it's authentic, you know. And we do that. So it's there. You just have to uncover it. Little known. So how about Australia? Now tell me about your experience in Australia looking for uh, African-related cultural activities, et cetera. Let me tell you. That was, Australia was simply an eye-opener because when you hear Australia, now for me, I don't know about all other African Americans, I think Aboriginal people. Exactly. Right. I mean, I know the Sydney Bridge is there and the Great Barrier Reef. Of course, we want to do that. But I think I'm going to go and see Aboriginal people. That's not, you will not. You will not. You have to go find them in their communities that's far out. You have to make it happen. Walking up and down their streets and the shops, you will not see them. You see, of course, the Europeans there. You see Asians. And now you're starting to see Indians from India. Mm-hmm. And now this is the kicker. They're selling Aboriginal artwork all over Israel, but it's copied. You mean Australia we, or Israel? I mean, I'm sorry, Australia. I didn't mean to say Israel. Great. Australia. It's copied. Mm-hmm. So when we had a, a private one-on-one tour with our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, we asked them about shopping, and they shared with us that in Australia, the stores will not lease them space to sell their own goods. Not only will they not lease them space, they won't even do trade um, uh, business with them, like buying their per- their merchandise and then selling it, they won't even do that. But what they've done, Asians have copied the Aboriginal artwork and then sell it in the stores. So you have to be really, Sounds really familiar. careful. 
Uh-huh. Sounds very familiar. <laughs> it, does. it really does. But we went um, all over Australia. We even did New Zealand, and New Zealand was a lot better. They celebrate their culture, and it's all about us. And you will see your brothers and sisters. You'll see people in New Zealand that look just like your cousins or your aunts and your uncles, and their hospitality is just like it is here, really like down south. But in Australia, you have to go to it and make it happen. And we had an awesome, it was very emotional for me. Um, we did the rainforest with the Aboriginal, and they did a ceremony that took me back when I was a little girl. Now, I don't know about you, but growing up, you didn't just bring anybody home. You got permission, and you introduced them to your family. So when we got there, the first thing they did was told us their their tradition, and they were going to break us up into smaller groups, and they took us into the rainforest But at the beginning and said they cannot take us in without asking their ancestors ancestors for permission to well, bring us easy. in. I know, and he's the, our tour guide said, of course my ancestors are going to say yes because they trust me. So he said, give me a moment, and he began to speak in his language, and his voice echoed all over the rainforest. And then once he finished, he said, okay, now we can go. And then he toured us through the rainforest, and he said, no matter what they've built on this land, God is in control, and we know that. And uh, uh, one of the stories that he shared with us that blew my mind, the fishing net. You know how fishermen have the fishing net and they throw it out to catch fish? There's a tree that that, that duplicates what a net would look like, and they shave it really thin, and then they soak it in the water for a while until it gets soft. So then when they pull it up, water runs through it like a net. And that's what they use as a net. And that's where the net came from. <laughs> I was like, wow. You just learn some things that just blow your mind. It's like, oh, my goodness. But that was one of the things we learned in Australia. We learned many things. But the main thing I came away with was making sure that if I ever take anyone to Australia, <clears throat> I will make sure they have the aboriginal experience. It's deep. It is so everything they do is for a reason. Everything well, your story, and what they your, did. Your story about your story about looking for Aborigines coincides with mm. the story that Jonathan um, French did for us uh, some years ago, and uh, the story still on PortalHarlem.net, and the picture is still one of the best pictures that's on uh, online. And he, I mean, he pretty much had the same experiences. Yeah, so it's not it, a place it, I've seen. It's not a seem seem to be a place I want to run to. But New Zealand sounds much better. And that's where the oh, New Zealand, are, right? The Ooh. MOR. M-O-R-I people are? Yes. Oh, okay, my goodness. Okay, because he spoke highly of his experiences there with the Maury people. It is, you can't, it goes, it, it gives you chills. Like your body just gets in chills and, and their performances, their food, the way they cook their food underground. And if you talk to my son and daughter, they will tell you New Zealand was the best. And even the travelers. New Zealand was the best, but it was because it was so culturally rich for us from beginning to end. It yeah, really he was. would agree and with that. I think Jonathan would agree was. with that. But I, I'm waiting I, for your trip I, to I, Fiji because that's where I want to join you whenever you go to Fiji. But I know you had it scheduled last year, but you haven't rescheduled it yet. So you're right. on the table? 
is still on the table. Actually, we were scheduling it for 2021, this September through November, either, either month September through November. We hadn't chosen it yet. But 2021, this year, September, celebrates our 25th year having our own travel doors open. And I went in 2019 to do the inspection. And that's another thing that sets me apart, I think, from others, is that I never take a group in blind. I have to go check it out first, and then I take you in because I need to know what we're about to walk into, and I need to have everything set up, and I need the suppliers there to know who we are and what we are expecting because if I don't do that, they will set us up in less favorable hotels and locations and take us on the standard tour, and we'll go and come back and not be the wiser. So I go ahead of time. I hear you. <laughs> to make sure. I hear you. I always okay. love when people come back, say, from the Gambia. And I'm like, but did you do this? And I'm making so what you do? You went all the way to the Gambia, sat on the bus? <laughs> I know. And looked out the window? I know. <laughs> I like going to people's houses. I like having that personal touch experience, one that you can't duplicate, and one that money cannot buy. When I went to Fiji, I was, you know, by myself. And so I, I went on a couple of tours with groups of people that were from other countries. But I had a private tour who was Fijian, and I learned some things about Fiji that I did not know, and I thought I knew quite a bit. But when I got there, um, they said, so I know you're going to be inspecting the hotels and the resorts. I said, well, I'd like to do some tour and get some culture. So um, I learned that... If Fiji is made up of, now this is going to get you, from of people of color. You'll see nothing but people of color there. From Australia, you'll see Aboriginal people, look Aboriginal, New Zealand, South Africa, Egypt, all the way from the south of, of the continent of Africa, all the way up the east to Egypt a multiple array of black people from Africa all the way over to Australia, New Zealand, make up Fiji. I didn't know that. And there's, and there's, yeah, and I, and there's one thing, and I don't know if I want to share it because I don't want to spoil it for anyone who goes. I want them to hear it like I heard it for the first time, but it has to do with our hair. <laughs> that was amazing. But one of the things, <laughs> most of the, the, the women there and the men wear afros. And they don't. That's why we don't want to go because I guess they're they're related to the. I guess they're Melanesians, and I knew this guy from Vanuatu. I think that's how you pronounce it, Vanuatu. (laughs) Uh And they're all Melanesians too. And he and I used to hang around with this guy from the Gambia, and people and the Gambian guy (laughs) talked the most, so people would see him first or hear him talk first, and then they would assume (laughs) all three of us were Africans. (laughs) I was like, this dude is from the South Pacific. He's not even from Africa. I know. You fit, you blend in. You blend in. Yeah. So I told I them, it. I said, oh, yeah, Afros are beautiful. They said, oh, we call it the fuzzies. They don't call them okay. Afros. They call them the fuzzies. <laughs> I like that. I said, well, that works, too. And you, it does. And you know what? They serenaded me when I was leaving all the way to my ride um, before leaving to go to the airport. It just, And it, it was like people that looked like my aunts and uncles serenading me, men and women, and the experience was beautiful. So when I got back, I told the travels, when we go to Fiji, I know you all are looking to party and be on the beach. We're going to have that. 
but you have to tour and get some culture. You will walk away with a different experience than what you imagine. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, Fiji, we're going to be on the beach, and we're going to have fun. So you have to mix the two. Get the culture in. It's very rich. Went to a, a family's home. <clears throat> and they did a, a ceremony with me. They have very strong traditions and culture, you know, about before coming into the house and all that. And I love things like that. You get to see how they worship uh, the little teeny little churches that you would normally see. You know, we were growing up down in the south. They had these little small churches with a steeple. That's what their churches look like. And they have one communal kitchen that's in a little house and the village, the women cook in that little house, and then they all come together and have a communal suppers. Gotcha. I just found it fascinating. Well, we, yeah. Yeah, but well, we wanted to leave the South Pacific because we run out of time. Because I had to ask okay, you about the Bahamas. <laughs> because even the when Bahamas? you go to Bahamas, you said oh. that it's a different experience when you do it from uh, a black cultural experience. And we think that Bahamas is another African country, but still, what makes going to the Bahamas with you different, and what do you do differently in the Bahamas? What we do differently in the Bahamas is we do a black history tour of the Bahamas. So you go further out and you get to see how the people live, but you learn the history behind how they came to actually own the Bahamas. Um, the resorts and, and tour companies and things that are there, they're leasing that space to operate for the tourists that are coming in. But what happened is the um, slaves that were taken there to run that island was to produce salt. It, produ it naturally produced salt. So they brought slaves in, slave master brought slaves in to help man the fields for salt. Eventually the salt started wearing out. No more salt started drying up. And so the slave owner decided he's going to go to more fruitful land and try to make a decision. Do I take the slaves that I own with me to this new land or do I leave them here and just get more slaves? And so he thought it would be more cost effective to just get new slaves and leave the ones that were there there expecting they were going to die off because the land wasn't producing anything. And so he told them the land is yours. And but guess what? They didn't die. So the <laughs> land is there. So you learn these things and it makes you appreciate it even I've more. I've never heard that story before. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, I have to I have I to do to more do, um, more research into that one. Go ahead. <laughs> I used to do well, they told it to us, but I used to do student group tours, um uh high school graduation tours and um they would always do a cruise because we could monitor them easier, and it would always go to Nassau, Bahamas. So I said, okay, if we do this, we're going to have one day where we tour, at least a half a day. And that was my first time hearing it. And if you ever go to the Bahamas, anyone out there listening, look up people to people. It's a black-owned tour company, a Bahamian-owned tour company that specializes in black history tours of the Bahamas. Wow, that's great. But, you know, speaking of black history, I know your big push is your 100 Black to Egypt tour, oh. 100 Black to Egypt tour. So what's so significant about this 100 number? Well, I've done it with 100, 104, and I've done it where it's 40. And the experience, both of them are great. But the 100 is fantastic because it's more personal. <laughs> when we leave, 
the Cairo how is having, area. How, how is having more people more personal? Go ahead. Because when we get to the portion of the of the tour, because you do like four five days in Cairo, all up to Luxor, and then when you get to the cruise, the sail down the Nile, we sail for five days. The cruise experience on that Nile with a hundred people, we have that boat all to ourselves, and of course, the people that are managing the boat are Nubians. And they look just like us, and they see us as their brothers and sisters. And what I notice, they roll out the red carpet in more ways than one. And like I said, it's not that having 40 people uh, is not good. It's fun. It's going to be fun. But it's it's just more meaningful and filling. Um, I'm going to give a, an example. On They have a night called the Galabea. And everyone has to dress up Egyptian or Kemet. And I was coming out of my room, and my steward said, no, 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 no. You have to let me do your makeup. You are a queen. You have to let me do your makeup. So he ran off, and he came back with this great big bag of makeup. And he did my makeup, and, and he said, now you look like a Nubian queen. But that's how they treated everybody. They partied with us on the bus. They made sure we didn't go without. They sold us stuff much less. Some of the things they gave away. And they would, the Nubians, when we started on this sailing, followed us from Luxor all the way down to Aswan. They were, we would see the same people down at the next area. And they were like, hi, my <laughs> brothers and sisters, hi, my brothers and sisters. And because of that time, that was in 2010, um, no, 2008, another group went after that. They weren't my travelers, but I know the travel company. And she came back and she called me and said, Bernadette, what did you all do when you were over there? And I said, oh, we just had so much fun. She said, well, it must have been great because everywhere we went all over Egypt, they were hollering, champion, hey, champion. They thought, <laughs> I guess all the black people were with champion. It's a more personal experience. Um, they took us to their homes in the Nubian village. They broke us up into smaller groups, and we went to individual Nubian people's homes. And they told, showed us how they lived. They they. Uh, prepared uh, uh, this tea and bread that they baked for us to do a traditional. You dunk it in in the honey. They did the henna. And when we come back and share with people who have been to Egypt, they're like, we didn't have that experience. So it's just more personal. It's more personal. It's like being with your family when it's a hundred of us because we have that cruise going down and now all to ourselves. No one else is on the – they won't – Fill up any of the rooms with anyone else but us. Yeah, the, 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 the boats boat, are not big. They're pretty, not much, ships like pretty much rented out the whole boat, so the boat is yours. Well, we do. We do. With 100 yeah. people, we secure the whole boat. And let me say this, because some people think, they say cruise down the Nile, that you're going to be on a ship like here in America. It's not, no comparison. There's a large boat. All of the cabins are now view rooms. They don't even have inside cabins. And they'll have like eight decks. And the upper deck is the pool and the jacuzzi. And every evening they do high tea. Every evening, which is a Nubian tradition. Who oh, it's knew, not a British right? tradition, huh? No, no. It's, uh, no. <laughs> it's a Nubian tradition. <laughs> Even in their homes, they have high tea. I love that. <laughs> well, I have to throw in, too, since we're talking about Nubia uh, and we're getting closer to Ethiopia now. Uh, this year is the. 125th anniversary of the Battle of Adwa. 
And I think you've been mm. to Ethiopia too. Is that correct? I have, I have, yeah. That that. So how that was that? Is, and did you go to? And did you go to Adwa? I did, I did. We I have, I went to Omo. I, <clears throat> of course, Addis. We did Aksum, Gunda, Bahadar, Lalibela. Um, all I, I went all over, and then you know I I went to Ethiopia for personal reasons. My mom and dad did the African DNA, and okay. my dad's mother's maternal DNA came back and started from Ethiopia, although the DNA in Liberia, and it was by way of Ethiopia because the some of the Ethiopian tribes left and migrated straight across and landed in a lot of the African countries, and they're called the Fulanis. They were original yeah. Ethiopians. Yeah, okay. and so and then I was curious. I said, "Oh, I have to go to Ethiopia because I have nieces that look Ethiopian, and sometimes my daughter gets mistaken for Ethiopian." So I had to go, and um, it's very. I, I alert people, and 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 hopefully help them to understand it's going to be a different experience. It's not going to be a big old luxury experience. Their hotels are nice. Some of them are what we would consider here maybe a, a three-star hotel. However, they're clean. The people are rich. But you're going to see things that's biblical, and you want to see them because you won't see it anywhere else, like the, the church that was carved out of the ground with pickaxe. That's in Lollibella, right. and you stand up on that hill and look down, and then you walk down in there and you go inside, and you can see that they did it with pickaxe because the floors aren't level, the windows aren't straight, and um, it's just a, a, a speechless thing to see, you know. It's just it's, it's okay. just speechless. Yeah. Well, speaking of your parents, because you said your parents were on that particular trip, but the last house, last ran into your parents was when I ran into you at um, the church in Ford, Washington, the AME church. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. Okay. Ebenezer. But I know you plan <laughs> Ebenezer, but I know you plan a trip with them to uh, Ghana, which anybody can go on. But I met your parents there, and your mother was so funny because I was asking <laughs> you about my mother traveling at the age of 92. And your mother would be like, are you crazy to ask that question? <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I asked her. Well, do you want to go with Bernadette? And she said, "Sure." <laughs> so I know your parents are in their eighties, and they often travel with you. What do you advise mm-hmm. senior travelers? Uh, first, say first those over sixty, mm-hmm. and then those over seventy-five. We only got about four minutes left. So, what do you okay. advise the senior what travelers? I, num- number one is to prepare. Understand what your limits are. If you can't walk longer than 10 minutes, definitely request wheelchair assistant at the airport. Ask if there's wheelchair assistant in that country. If it's not, I recommend that they take a cane that has a seat that pulls down. And I also am up front with them about what the tour days will look like. And I also am up front with whether or not it's a hard trip or an easy one. And I find, honestly, that the seniors do better than the young adults. They don't wow. complain, and they, they really do. They're retired, and they're ready to go. And as okay, long as last they're prepared... Minute. Okay. And our last minute, let me make sure they, everybody understands that they can find champion services, champion travels, chapels, champ, champion, champion services, travel, services travel, 
on the Internet, yes. and you can also find them on our website. And if you even search for Bernadette Champion or Champion Travel Services, you will find it at porterharm.net, including the list of uh, trips that they have planned, or you can just email porterharm.net, and we'll make sure you're connected to uh, Bernadette. But, Bernadette, I want to thank you so much for your patience and your time. And I'm looking forward to Fiji now, so please plan that trip. (laughs) I promise, I promise. And I just want to thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to share. That's what I want to do is share and offer service. Thank you, Porter Harlem. We're anxious to travel. You're welcome. Take care now. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Love Talk Radio. Welcome back to Port of Harlem Talk Radio. You can also visit portofharlem.net and click on Port of Harlem Talk Radio from the menu to hear this and past episodes. Our next guest is Franklin Malone, founder and CEO of 100, 100 Fathers. Welcome back, Franklin. How things are going? Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be back, Wayne. And, uh, we got to stay on top of things in our community and what's going on with our educational system and our incarceration system. Well, I know you are. So, that's, why you have, that's why we have you back on. So let's talk about your upcoming Reactionary Masculinity Syndrome Workshop. I know that it's based upon the five black-on-black crime reversal steps outlined in Dr. Amos Wilson's book, Black-on-Black Violence, The Psychodynamics of Black self-annihilation in service of white denomination, long title. We can talk about the book and contents in a few, but first, when and where is the workshop and what will be the general setup of the workshop? Well, the workshop is going to be called Reactionary Masculinity Syndrome, and it's a take from Dr. Amos Wilson, but we use it in the schools, in the community, in the jails. And it works. What is reactionary masculinity syndrome? Well, let me ask you first of all. Let me ask you first of all. So it's an ongoing workshop. It's not a one-time workshop. Then that's correct. Okay. So we're going to present next month. And it's in multiple places. That's correct. We're we're on YouTube right now under my name, Frank Malone, one hundred five. But I'll be presenting on the national scene for the uh, National Violence De-Escalation Committee with Dr. Stephanie Myers and the Black Women for Change and the Good Brothers. And that will be on April the 14th. And I'll be happy to share that with you. Okay, we're going to talk about that more exactly, how people can connect with you so they can see or participate in this workshop when it's done in multiple places and multiple times and in multiple different groups. But in general, before we move directly into talking about the workshop, what is the general setup of the workshop? The workshop is designed as a power session for young men, men who have come out of jail, men who are in school. It's designed to help with prevention, intervention, and innovation with our young men of color. You know, what is it? sit around a circle? Do you give presentations? Is it a PowerPoint slide? What what do you all do? We do all of that. When we can do it in person, 
it has its greatest effect. Of course, COVID-19 has given us the opportunity to do it on uh, on on visual, on on virtual platforms, but it really has its best uh, effect when you have men communicating with young men, old men of all ages, working together to make a point. So most of the workshop was a discussion between older guys and younger guys. That's the way we try to keep it. We have a council of elders. We have young trained certified fatherhood facilitators, and I happen to be a master fatherhood trainer. That's where people mess up. They think that mentoring is just enough, but mentoring is only the beginning of what our young black men need. They need a man that, you know, says in my Bible, it says, study that showed ourselves approved. You can't teach anybody anything if you haven't learned anything to teach them. You want to take them out to the deep water, then you have to go gone there yourself. And so that's what young men want. They want somebody that knows where they're going, that has something for them, and can take them to a better outcome than where they are now. Okay, so now in the book, there are five black-on-black crime reversal steps. That, you, that you're going to focus on doing the workshop or you have been focusing on doing the workshop. So let's take a look at each of those steps. Start off with step one and tell us a little bit about it, and then step two and tell us a little about it until we get to step five. Well, let me, let me line this up for you. How mm-hmm. we do this is what when we talk about each of these points, we're trying to get into the mind, the heart, and the soul of the individual. So the first one is manhood. And when we meet with young men, first thing we ask them is, what is a man? And you would be surprised at the I'm many sure different definitions that you get of what they think a man is. One guy says, you're a man if you can go out to the bar and come home, put some money on the table for your mother. We say, well, how's that a man? You know what I'm saying? Here's what a man is. He's rational reasonable, and responsible, period. Rational, reasonable, and responsible. And then we have discussions about that, about how does that look for you? Because there's nothing complicated about it. It's simple. That's what a real man is. He takes care of his business. He's reasonable with what he does, and he makes a rational approach to be a successful person in life. Okay, and what's what's number two? Number two is respect. Who do you respect? Who do you honor? Because if I know who you respect, I can tell you where you're going. If I know who you honor, I can tell you what's up with you. I can tell you how far you can take that. But first, you have to respect yourself. If you don't respect yourself, you can't respect anybody else. And respect is not given Respect is earned respect. You have to respect our black women. You have to respect yourself and the people around you. So when we teach respect, we're talking about the basic fundamental self-esteem issue of a young black man knowing that he has to take care of himself. Come on and be somebody special to himself. And number three. All right. Number three is power. So how do you see power? 
Do you see power as somebody having a lot of money, somebody having a car with big 22s on it, somebody having a lot of gold that walks around with chains around their neck, or is power actually knowledge? You know, Solomon defeated a lot of because he had knowledge and wisdom, which was the power. The power for the black man is the use of our knowledge, our wisdom, and our understanding to solve all of the problems as we already have all over the world. And so power cannot be anything except something that is breathing, something that is alive in you. There is no material thing that can really give you power. The power lies within, and that's what we teach. And what's some of the reactions you get from the younger guys to number three, power? It's, 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 it's critical that they understand. You know, guns don't kill people. People that hold guns and think bad thoughts kill people. And so that power lies within you how you think. You have to know the, the most powerful words to understand you have that power. So we give them we give them the most powerful words to go by. And so they accept that. But we have a, a free discussion about what they think and what and what it is. But I like suppose the last is Yes. What it is what it is. What it is. But I tell you, just listening to you, I would love to be in the discussion just to hear. Because I would love to see how some of the younger guys react to the, just having an, a, a frank discussion about these issues. But let's move on to number two. And what's number two? Well, before you go to number two, and I know we don't have a lot of time, the most powerful words are thought, education, patience, faith, and success. Those are life-altering words that give you power. But let's move on. Because the most important one of those four, fatherhood. Let me say this, 40% of our young men have been expelled from school. 70% of our students have been arrested. 3 to 5% of black students are suspended from school, more than whites. Two times black and Latino students are twice as likely not to graduate. And 68% of our males are in state prison, do not have a diploma. But fatherhood covers all of that because a father is authentic, available, and affirming. And if you haven't had that in your life, then there's a disease that you have called fatherlessness that causes crime, that causes malbehavior, that causes criminal behavior. It causes low self-esteem and emotional problems. So the love of a father in a person's life will determine what their eligibility is for success and life. So did now we the cover last two. One. So Frank, did we cover number yes, two? We I did. guess we did cover number two because I know it was a, it was a string. Two, so, can, so can you? So yes, number sir. two was. Number, I thought number okay. Number two was respect. I can't. I'm not, I didn't write them down, but number, I thought number, number two three was a was long power. string. Number four is fatherhood, which is probably one of the most important things 
Everybody's uh-huh. talking about mentoring, but it's fatherhood and mentoring. The father is the first mentor. There's some mothers out there doing the best they can do, but they cannot be a father. They have to okay, know they have to get a man in that young man's life. Go ahead. And repeat, and repeat number one. five. The repeat number five before we go back to number one. Number five is racial okay. because if you don't get the first four straight, you either going to jail, you're gonna be dead, or you know some malady is gonna happen in your life. If you don't have yourself directed in the right direction, racial oppression is going to take care of you because if you end up in the system, you probably will not get a fair shake. And that's why we incarcerate most people in this country than anywhere else in the world. And this is where the black man lives in America. And so to get around that, we have to be able to transform the lives of those young men that are lost in the system. And we're saying that we as master trainers and fatherhood leaders have the ability to take a young man, to look at where he is, and to lead him by example where he needs to go. How do we do that? Love, connection, engagement, enlightenment brings empowerment. But you need real men to talk to young men about real things. I think that's the key right there, and that's why I have to go and look at one of your sessions now because I would love to hear a discussion between older guys and younger guys about those five issues. And I know it looked like we went backwards and forwards on these issues, so we have two more minutes left. So take your time, repeat one through five or five through one, those five points. Just name them, please. Manhood. What kind of man are you? What is a man to you? That's going to determine what you think you are is who you are. Are you thinking the right thing? Respect. Number two, who do you respect? Who do you honor? What do you look up to in life? Because whatever you respect, that's where you're going. Okay, we have 90 Number seconds. Three is power. Power is knowledge, not anything that you can buy or sell. And fatherhood has to be taught. It cannot be bought. It better be caught. And the last one is racial oppression. And we know that we have the most people locked up in these systems for the wrong reasons. And so if you can get the first four straight, you can avoid the last one, which is racial oppression bringing us to incarceration and our actions leading us to death. And so we use prevention, intervention, and innovation to change that dynamic to change the paradigm and save our young men and give them another chance to heal within themselves. Okay. Reaction now masculinity syndrome. Now, where do me and other people go to find you and to find this particular workshop or any anything other product that you want to do? org. You can find my workshop on YouTube. Put in Frank Malone, 100 Fathers, and it's running right now on YouTube. I will be presenting. I presented okay. this at the United States. Okay, uh, we have five Congress. seconds left. We want to thank you. We have it on our website. All thank right. you for the support of Harlem.net. All right. And we, have it on, and we have it on our website. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Bless you, brother, for putting the word out. Save our young men. That's thank what you men for your, have to do. 
Thank you for your work. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Take care. Thank you Take for care. the Southgate. Peace.